right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of This Week in Finance, a weekly podcast hosted by me, Brendan Shima, a podcast by Financial Friends, where we discuss everything that has went on this week in finance. If you are new to Financial Friends, this is my first ever exposure to you. Please go ahead and hit that subscribe button. Join the friend group. We discuss everything business, finance, and investing related. So if that's something you're interested in, go ahead and follow along. Without further ado, let's go ahead and break down everything that has happened that's exciting, noteworthy, or just that I'm personally interested in this week in finance. So first things first, we're going to get a little icebreaker, keep things pretty light. Elon Musk did say that if he does acquire Twitter, the board will get nothing. (laughs) He said the board's salary will be $0 if my bid succeeds. So that's about $3 million a year saved right off the bat. Obviously, Elon Musk made this big push uh, to acquire Twitter. He's still pursuing that. That's something we're going to talk about here right now, actually. Um, he is exploring a potential tender offer for Twitter and is committed to the $46.5 billion required to actually pay for Twitter. Um, Twitter user, or ironically enough, Twitter user... Trish Reagan did say that uh, $25.5 billion worth of financing would be led by Morgan Stanley. Another $12.5 billion would be in margin against his existing Tesla shares. And $21 billion would be from his own cash that was held within an SEC filing. It's also partly broken down here. Again, saying that Musk has received commitments for the $46 billion or $46.5 billion to help finance the deal. Again, $25.5 billion through Morgan Stanley and other firms, and then $21 billion of his own cash. I think this just re-emphasizes his commitment to pursuing Twitter, but also that He's trying to signal to shareholders that, look, this is something that is real. I'm not just talking about this. This is an actual possibility. This isn't a front or a stunt. I actually want to do this. And this then puts pressure on the board. The board is supposed to do what's best by the shareholders. That is technically their job. And they are not going to be doing that. They actually adopted a poison pill, basically forcing um, everyone's they're diluting everybody's share power, but also the company. They're diluting the whole entire company. And so they clearly do not want um, Elon Musk acquiring the company. I think an analyst or someone on CNBC uh, related it to the Heisman, right? If you could see me on the camera, if you are watching on YouTube, just kind of like a stiff arm, right? Like get away from us. Um, This tender offer though is very interesting. I didn't actually know what a tender offer was. So as always, we discuss business finance and investing. I am not a know-it-all, so I went ahead and looked it up. It actually says here um, right on the Investopedia website, which I have frequently referenced since that is a fantastic resource. On April 13th, Musk offered to acquire all of Twitter. Twitter's board responded with a shareholder rights plan that would dilute the shares. Um, And a tender offer is a bid to purchase some or all shareholder stock in a corporation. And a tender offer is typically made publicly and they invite shareholders to then sell their shares for a specified price, normally paying, paying pardon me, a premium. So it's going to cost Elon Musk a little bit of money. Obviously, he made that initial offer. Twitter not really having it. He has since secured financing, basically telling everybody, look, 
I'm not going anywhere, and I really, really do want to acquire Twitter. I think he has his motives and his priorities. A lot of people saying that this is he's in it for the money. I don't really think so. At this point, it's costing him a lot of time and effort to continue to pursue something like this. And if the meme or the joke or whatever it was for initially kind of wears out and is no longer there, well, he's still pursuing and he's still showing persistence. He clearly wants to get a hold of it. Jack Dorsey shared some thoughts on it, basically saying that the Twitter board does not own any shares. Um, This is what Musk said. Dorsey replied to some people on Twitter, basically when a user stated that there's been plots and coups, um, Dorsey replied, yeah, pretty much. It's been the one single big dysfunction of the company um, with someone basically saying, Again, quoting some things, um, venture capitalist Fred Destin cited a Silicon Valley proverb that good boards don't create good companies, but a bad board can kill it. Dorsey then replied, big facts. So very clearly here, Jack Dorsey has recognized the dysfunction of the company, recognized that it really was the board who kind of was the downfall of everything. A lot of people stating that the Twitter board doesn't even utilize the platform, right? They're just kind of sitting up there controlling narratives and not necessarily encouraging the proper use and the long-term benefit of Twitter itself. So switching gears on over to earnings season, Johnson & Johnson lowered their 2022 revenue and earnings expectations, and they stopped giving COVID vaccine guidance, which to me was the big takeaway here. And I wanted to talk for a second about Johnson & Johnson being a stock that I really, really love. Um, And when all of these companies started to release their COVID vaccines, um, the numbers they were getting, how much profit they were making from it, it kind of seemed two-faced, right? It it seemed like there was two things going on here. Um, I had written that it was either meant that sales have slowed, so they're no longer giving this guidance because sales have slowed, or they realized uh, that it was not necessarily morally correct to do this in the beginning. Now, you obviously have other companies like Pfizer and uh, Moderna still, I think, giving those numbers and that guidance. They obviously have two of the more successful vaccines, Johnson & Johnson, not so much, Um I personally think that it's both of these reasons as to why Johnson & Johnson decided. Now, they told everybody uh, that they didn't really think that it was for profit initially, and they don't really impact the company's bottom line, and it probably wasn't really morally correct to, to say this in the first place. However, they also have probably slowed those sales since. The vaccine is not as effective or at least not as popular of an option, and so they have decided to not share those numbers. Either way, I think it's a good thing that they're kind of moving away from this and really going to be focusing on the actual core business. Um, They did see a shift down in 2022 sales to $94.8 billion, a little bit lower than what they had provided initially. The company also lowered its earnings per share by $0.25 to between $10.15 and $10.35, and down from $10.40 to $10.60. Either way, right, I I continue to buy into Johnson & Johnson long-term. I think this company is going to continue to be successful. I've mentioned many, many times, and if you are a frequent listener, you're probably getting sick of me saying this, but I am going to be very interested what happens when the company splits into two. Rumor has it, well, shouldn't say rumor has it, fact has it, that the pharmaceutical and medical device company will kind of stay Johnson & Johnson, and then the consumer health side will be another portion of the business. That portion of the business, that consumer healthcare side, is going to be carrying big brand names, um, 
the biggest ones to me, at least being Motrin, Tylenol, a Band-Aid, right? So this is a, a, a product that they're going to be having over on the consumer health side that's going to continue to do well. Uh, it just doesn't see the same growth as pharmaceuticals, and it doesn't seem or see the same growth as medical devices. So they're splitting those two off so they can focus. I'm more interested in the consumer healthcare side of things. The company is going to be very similar to Procter & Gamble, although they're going to have some, some medication in there as well. The pharmaceutical side is going to be a bit more boring, probably will perform better. That's my thoughts on that. Let's keep on moving forward into some more big news. That big news being Netflix. Netflix shares down 25% and then actually dropped 36% overall um, after news came out that it had lost subscribers for the first time in 10 years. I'm not going to talk too, too much about this because I do have an entire video that I just released, the downfall or the issue, the problem with the streaming industry that'll be linked up above if you want to go ahead and click on that and watch that after this video. But basically, there's a ton of competition in this space, and HBO seems to be that competition, grabbing some new subscribers up 3 million subscribers um, from the previous quarter. Obviously, Netflix down, HBO up. So HBO falls underneath the Warner Brothers Discovery uh, stock. HBO Max, and then Discovery Plus, and they also have CNN Plus, which shut down after just one month. April 30th will be its last day, one month after launch. This is because they had fewer than 10,000 people watching CNN Plus each day. If you think of how many people actually stream CNN on a monthly basis, on a daily basis, have it on their TV, they just flick it on for fun, whatever it is, um, the fact that they were only capturing 10,000 people is terrible. I think part of it has to do with the fact that people don't necessarily want to pay for maybe this premium news. I'm not 100% sure on the product. Um, people said that it wasn't about quality, it wasn't about... Any real, any, it just it wasn't performing, right? It, it really just wasn't performing um, as a streaming service. Now, I think this has something to do with the kind of political stories that go around, especially with CNN, Fox News, right? There's going to be some polarity in those stories, and clearly this just wasn't a product that people really wanted. The CNN Plus head, Andrew Morse, is actually leaving the company. This is probably another reason uh, why he realizes not really performing that well. He's going to head out. They're just going to close it down. I think it's uh, probably the best decision for it, especially if it was probably a money pit, just sucking in money um, and not really performing well at all. Now, speaking of politics and some things going on with politics, we have Florida. And the Florida Republicans did vote to dissolve Disney's special district. A little bit of context here. Disney pretty much oper operates in Orange and I'm going to don't know if I'm going to say this right, Ascola counties. Okay. Essentially, they have this special district called Reedy Creek. And they do not do, it, they govern themselves, right, within this district. Um, it, it's not really anything where they're getting municipal support or fire or police. Um, it reads here, that until recently, there's been no major public discussion about dissolving Disney's long-established special district. 
It's occupied that district for 55 years and leading opposing senators and critics to the bill that would dissolve that question its timing and the speed at which it's be being pushed through. Um, there is this bill that's going around right now, um, HB 155 within Florida, and Disney has had some very, very strong outspokenness against that bill. The governor of Florida, Ron DeSantis, is obviously very in support of that bill. And so this does come at a weird time, almost as if Ron DeSantis is attacking Disney for its outspokenness against the bill. Now, the real issue here and in the real concern with all of this is there's a massive amount of debt within that Reedy Creek district. The state would absorb that. The people, the taxpayers would absorb that debt. It reads here, dissolving the district would mean that Reedy Creek employees and infrastructure would be absorbed by the local counties, which would then become responsible for municipal services, essentially fire, um, police, different things like that. that these counties that are not responsible for that currently, as Disney provides its own, would then be responsible. The counties would then collect the tax revenue that Disney pays the Reedy Creek District, which is, is operated essentially by itself, um, and then would be saddled with the district's liabilities, namely its debt. The, the district itself operates at a loss of 5 to $10 million per year, but however, Disney can then pay this or subsidize this because of the fact that it operates a park there, so it really doesn't matter. So essentially, Disney is running its own district within Florida, and no, it's nobody's business to worry about it, and taxpayers do not pay or fund anything that's going on in that region. An example of this was Universal had partnered with Orange County. They do not have this special district, nor does any other entity within Florida. It's just Disney. And so Universal fronted a project that was happening within the city, or within the county, rather. Um, they paid $160 million, and then Orange County and the state had to pay $125 million and $16 million, respectively, to complete that project. That is something that, at the moment, Disney is completely funding for itself. Any new addition or project or anything, it's all Disney. So if this goes away, if Reedy Creek District is dissolved, now Disney would have to, well, I shouldn't say Disney would have to, Disney would not be responsible for the complete payment of any of these new sort of renovations and instead taxpayers would have to pay for it. Now, this could essentially slow down things happening for Disney, but also stick the bill to somebody else. A lot of people um, within the knowledge of this are essentially saying that, look, it's not going to happen. Um, you do have David Ramba, an executive director of the special districts for Florida, says he's dissolved a number of these and it's not going to happen. He said a lot of lawyers are going to make money. A lot of people are going to make money off this, but it just simply isn't going to happen. Florida law dictates that special districts created by the legislature can only be dissolved with a majority vote. Freedy Creek, that would be Walt Disney. Walt Disney is going to have all the votes because they're the district landowners. Um, so essentially nothing's going to happen. Some people are fired up. A lot of people think it's a revenge bill, a political theater. Um, in my personal opinion, it seems as if Disney kind of profits or wins from this either way. Obviously, they're not going to want to have to slow down the speed. They're not going to have to go through regulatory hoops to make things happen. That's going to slow down the building out of the Disney empire down in Florida. However, um, they're going to have costs covered for them, right? Tax dollars are going to now be paid for them. 
services are going to be provided to them. So it almost seems as if Disney kind of makes out either way. I'm not 100% sure on the actuality of that statement. Profit-wise, I would assume that if costs are being covered for Disney, like fire, police, taxpayer dollars are funding projects, that Disney would have more room for profit, but maybe they wouldn't be able to innovate and profit as quickly or as largely as they would want to because they have to jump through regulatory hoops. This will be a story I continue to update as it continues to evolve. I'm sure next week there'll be a little bit more of me touching on this. Last thing here is Amazon opens up its prime delivery service to other retailers. The main thing here is a move to compete with the big dogs like UPS, FedEx, and the USPS, opening up their their logistics, their services, their supply chain to other companies in the future would essentially be like you making a purchase on Target.com and then that being shipped via FedEx to you. Imagine if that was just shipped via Amazon. Over time, this is going to have a massive impact on the profitability of Amazon. And my guess is there'll be some regulatory or antitrust things as that continues to evolve. For now, there's going to be a ship with Prime button on third-party merchants that already use Amazon FBA. So this is really just going to be something where they're already storing their products with Amazon. So instead of if you go to their, you know, their their actual website, this company who sells on Amazon's actual website, you can just purchase through Prime. So Amazon's still going to profit from that because they're going to charge to have that ship with Prime button on their website. Either way, Amazon just makes a ton more money. This innovation is going to be fantastic for them over the long haul. I'm just interested to see how it evolves and then what happens with the competition in regard to UPS and FedEx. They're already on pace to be the biggest delivery service um, ever. Actually, it was last year that Amazon was on track to become by early 2022. I'm not sure how that is still moved, but gosh, like Amazon is is becomes so much bigger than just a online retailer that ships products. They have Amazon Web Services, Amazon Prime Video, Amazon Music. I think there was still talks of them kind of navigating into the pharmaceutical world. Um, they have Alexa, like they they have Ring. I mean, they're just absolutely dominant um, everywhere. Amazon has touched your life one way or another. I use Poshmark. Amazon Web Services powers Poshmark. I mean, it just, it, you might not even know that you're using a website that Amazon Web Services runs or powers in some way. It's crazy. This is going to be huge for Amazon long term. They're going to continue to boom as they always have. Stock price, I don't think, has really caught up. I know it was relatively flat for a very long period of time. Um, let's go ahead and check the three month. Yeah, I mean, not much movement really at all. Six month actually down over the last six months. Year to date, down as well. Last year, it's down over the last year as well. Five years, obviously, a big run up um, and all time, just massive, massive gains. But Amazon's going to be a force to be reckoned with. Also, the government will probably look at them as a force to reckon with on purpose um, via antitrust. So that's been it for this week in finance. I hope that you all learned something new, found something interesting. If you want to comment on anything that was spoken about in this video, go ahead and comment down below. If you're listening on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or any of the other podcast platforms, go ahead and leave a good rating if you enjoyed this episode. It really does help out the podcast. Thank you very much for listening to This Week in Finance, and I will see you all next week.